Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krauss, and I hope that you're feeling happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we'll meet Carly Fortune, an award-winning journalist who has worked as an editor at some of Canada's top publications, including The Globe and Mail, Chatelaine, Toronto Life, and The Grid. Her new novel is called Meet Me at the Lake. It's a love story about secrets, lies, misconnections, and second chances that is being called beautiful and heart-tugging, and it also recently caught the eye of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, who bought the rights to the book as their first big-screen adaptation of a novel. We'll find out all about the book a little bit later on in the show. First, though, let's meet Zalika Reed Benta, an author who explores race, identity, and culture through the lens of second-generation Caribbean Canadians in her work. The Columbia MFA graduate's debut novel, Frying Plantain, a series of interconnected stories featuring a young black female protagonist, was on the 2019 Scotiabank Giller Prize long list. CBC Books named Reed Benta a writer to watch in 2019, and she served as jury chair chair for the 2021 Scotiabank Giller Prize. Her new book is River Mama, an exhilarating contemporary fantasy novel about a young black woman who navigates her quarter-life crisis while embarking on a mythical quest through the streets of Toronto. Salika Reed Benta joined me via Zoom. You have talked about your love of movies and television. Is there anything uh, that you can think of that perhaps embedded itself in your head, television show, a movie, uh, that sort of draws a straight line to this book? Absolutely. Um, a few things. So as you know, the book takes take place take, takes place during, um, during one day mm -hmm. and uh, it's very high energy. So I wanted to keep that high energy up when writing. So I watch super bad, like, <laughs> five times uh, because it's so chaotic and wild and um, I hadn't really watched it since it came out um, and that was also like an experience because I saw it in theaters with my mom so that was a little bit interesting um, but uh, so a lot of nostalgia was also coming back and and this Toronto that it takes place and it's not it's not as early as like 2012 but it's it's an earlier Toronto than this so that also helped uh, with nostalgia and then um, I also watched Scott Pilgrim versus the world to get that sort of, you know, energy as well. And um, there are references that only I'll know to like certain movies. Like there's, um, cause it's not, it's to me, it's a direct line, but it's not necessarily direct. There's like a series of questioning that happens. And I took that um, or I was uh, inspired by a series of questioning that happens and do the right thing. When uh, Mookie talks to, talks to I forget his name it's one of Sal's sons and he's asking you know like who are your favorite uh boxers who are your favorite right. so I was like yeah I wanted that sort of line of questioning there um even something like um Tangerine because of the way that the music worked in that movie and just again sort of that like energy um, and so I was like, I watched Andrew from a lot of different movies from a lot of different genres uh, to just keep up that pacing. Tangerine certainly has that kind of sense of urgency too. I think you were yeah. looking for, uh, which you know gets you kind of hyped up, I guess. Now, did you write the book really quickly as well? Was that part of the of the the process of keeping that energy up? Yes and no. Um, 
No, in the sense that after Frank, well, actually during Frank Planted in a lot of ways, I was writing this YA fantasy novel that I thought was going to draw on Jamaican folklore. Um, and I was struggling with it. I was struggling with it for years, like three mm -hmm. or four years, maybe. Um, like I was writing and, and it was only like halfway done, but it was like 400 pages and I wasn't really getting to the point. And I kept changing the plot and like changing all these different things and like talking to my, cause I, I, I really bother my agent. I send her like a whole bunch of stuff and I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm changing it again. Um, and then one day I stopped mid sentence and I wrote the first two chapters of Ripper Mama. Um, and then I kept writing and I wrote a hundred pages in maybe two weeks, which is very, very short for me. Yeah. And I sent it to her being like, okay, I know I keep changing things but I feel like I'm onto something here. Um, and then she was like, this is it. This is what you've been trying to write for like a very long time. And so in that sense, um, that came out fairly quickly. Uh, I wrote it during when we were like in severe lockdown. That's basically when I, I wrote everything. Um, so I also wasn't going out that much. Right. No distractions, yeah. No distractions. So I could really like buckle down and do it. But um, something else, like I was talking to my agent, she was like, I think the reason why it was taking you so long with the YA as well as you were learning how to write a novel since I've been writing short stories for a very long time. Um, Cause she's like, now the pacing is good. Like your chapters are the way that they're supposed to be. So I think you were teaching yourself how to do that uh, in order for this to become as quick as it was. So it's after a, that, yeah. It's a much different thing. A short story yeah. is a much different thing. You have to have much more of a clarity of thought, I think. Uh, a sense of place. You don't want to have 25 locations in a story that's only four pages long or whatever it might be. Uh, so to break free of that, you probably have to kind of just free your mind a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Zalika Reed Benta on The Richard Krause Show. Her novel, River Mama, is available wherever you buy fine books. And that's, it's, it's scary. That's scary in its own sense too, because you can go so many different places. Um, and that's fine if you want like an epic, you know, 500 page novel, but I tend to be a little bit more compact with my writing, I think. Um, and so it was basically like freedom, but also like learning how to hone that into something constructive. So that's, that's kind of what happened. And you draw on your Jamaican heritage uh, a, a great deal in this novel, specifically on uh, Jamaican folklore, because we have to remind people this is a fantasy novel. It takes place in a real place, but it is a fantasy novel. And these characters uh, kind of come alive from Jamaican folklore uh, and guide the, the, the main character here. So tell me a little bit about those characters and are they stories that you had heard for years are they completely new uh imaginations of folklore what are they both it's it's interesting just because there's so many different versions of folklore um of including the way something looks so i you know my my family sometimes you know they will talk about um duppies which is what is a that's drawing on a lot which are like um they can be good spirits and they can be bad spirits but they're mostly bad spirits <laughs> that's usually when you hear about duppies when they're malevolent and um there's one in particular the rolling calf which is like a very big um evil like spirit in in Jamaican folklore and 
when I heard of the rolling cap and when people were talking to me about the rolling cap, it's a bull, there's chains, uh, there's fire um, in the eyes. And like a couple of years ago, I, I went to um, this writer's conference and I met another Jamaican um, writer and I forget who we were talking to, but we were talking about duppies and her version of a rolling calf was entirely different. It was an actual calf. There was, uh, they did have chains, but it was like around the body. They didn't have legs. It rolled, like a literally rolled. And I was like, yeah. I've never heard of that before. Uh, that's, not, you know, that's not what they told me. Uh, and so, and then I, when I speak to different people, it's, it's different versions of the same thing. So I think with that, um, I, I felt like I could put my imagination to to a lot of the stuff because in the in this uh rolling in this book the rolling calf breathes fire out of its nostrils which isn't something that I've actually heard happening but considering there are so many different versions I was like this could just be another version of that well yeah. I would imagine that a lot of these stories are part of oral tradition and yeah. so every family has you know, a little tweak on the story exactly. that they may have been telling for, you know, passed down from grandfather to grandmother, you know, the whole thing all the way down. So of course it's going to change along the way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in terms of like the duppies or even um, River Mama, who's a spirit and depending on the version that you're told, she can be one person, she could be multiple people. Um, that was something that I kind of just grew up around and heard um, when it came to like the traditional herbal medicines and um, like things like bush baths and things like, you know, um, psychic mothers and stuff like that. My family don't like nobody I knew really spoke about that. Like we speak about it, but don't speak about it. There's a lot of stigma around it. So that was something that I had to research, which is why at the end of the book, there's like a list of different right. books that I consulted because um yeah, I had to. And then when I was reading things, I'm like, oh, no, like, I, I, I kind of know what this is, because I've kind of seen it, or I've kind of heard it. On top of the, the fantastic elements of the story, you have something that is a very real thing, which is a quarter life crisis that your 26 year old uh, main character is going through. Uh, is that something that perhaps you can relate to a little bit more directly? Absolutely. It was <laughs> definitely something I had to pull from uh, when I was that age and feeling the sort of malaise and ennui of not being exactly where you think you're going to be. And um, so that was like taking me back to a time that I was just like, yeah. And I, and that's also part of why I wrote this book is because at the time, there were a lot of different articles about the quarter life crisis or about millennials and what millennials were going through. And I was like, that's a certain perspective because I'm not having these concerns. I'm not having these issues. And uh, some of it was written by millennials themselves, but some of it was other people telling millennials how to feel like, again, like the whole thing with avocado toast, like, oh my God, we can't buy avocado toast. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, you'll, I never, you'll never have a house if you have avocado exactly. toast. And it was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> um, so I definitely wanted to kind of write about that millennial quarter life crisis, not to say that other people couldn't relate to, to that aspect of it. I think 
I think everybody goes through some sort of quarter life crisis. Um, but I, I definitely wanted to write it from a very specific perspective and also be universal in that specificity. Um, so that's how that came about. The book is set in Toronto. So often when we read uh, YA fiction or just any fiction, it's always New York or it's always Chicago or somewhere like that. Why, why Toronto other than the really obvious reason? That you well, I, <laughs> I did my MFA in New York, uh, actually, and I I read a lot of New York. You went to Columbia, right? Yeah, I went to Columbia. And there was this, and this was for Frying Planton, because I wrote a lot of Frying Planton on my first book when I was there. And I, I had written um, about Mount Sinai. I think I, I didn't write about it. I just mentioned Mount Sinai. And the way that workshop works usually is that when you sit and hear other people like you know critique your work you're not supposed to say anything back you're supposed to wait until the very end and then you can speak but someone said obviously this is New York because of Mount Sinai and I just like reacted I was like actually it's Toronto and my instructor was like Zalika you're not supposed to say anything I'm like I know I'm not saying anything else I just need everybody to know that this is Toronto and I was like I don't understand why I can't write Toronto the way people write about Chicago or write about New York. Like it's, you can't, like, I just don't understand why that isn't done. And um, that is actually a little bit interesting for me as well, because when I had first write, written Frying Plantin, which is also very much set in Toronto, um, I had it very nondescript at first. It was kind of like, it could be a city or anywhere. And my uh, Paul Beattie was like, where does this take place? Like, I have literally no idea. And I was like, I don't really want to like round it in, in, in the city. And he was just like, I don't know, like, I feel like you should. And then when I kept going back to Toronto, uh, certain things were missing from or gone from the city that I grew up with. Like, you know, the world's biggest bookstore was gone and Honest Ed's was gone and, and Sam's was gone. And so I was like, I need to like write what I remember of the city at a certain time. And I think that carried over here where um, I was just like the city that I I I, I just feel like I it felt like it had to be in Toronto. And so it's become a sort of thing for me now where I'm writing very Toronto specific stories. And I never thought that I was going to be that writer when I first started writing. So uh, considering that there's now like a map of Toronto in the book and like very specific places. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's just, it's just, it just feels right. So I guess that's, I feel like sometimes I went to New York so I could write about Toronto. Yeah, you don't know what you've got till it's gone or something, yeah. or until you're gone from it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, you say that you like to live with your characters. Uh, what does that mean? Does that mean, like some writers tell me, that when they are uh, writing a book, it's almost like the characters are sitting on their shoulders, you know, whispering in their ears, telling them what they want to do. Uh, is that what it's like for you? Not necessarily, like they don't, they have, a, I feel like my characters have a mind of their own when I actually start writing. Like, I think I might have something in my head and then I start writing and it goes a completely different direction. And I'm like, okay, I guess heaven wanted to do this or Mars wanted to do this or Alicia wanted to do this. I think for me, it's more just like, I want to, I want to stay in the mindset of the story. So I have like, um, 
I listen to music. So like on my Spotify, there's brainstorming playlist. And so for, for River Mama and a lot, and a lot of the songs that are in my uh, brainstorming playlist are like referenced in, in the, uh, in the book. And so music helps me um, stay in the, in the emotional truth of my characters. And also again, um, I don't really, I don't really go for movies for this, but I go for TV shows. So for instance, I watched Buffy. I watched um, like season three, specifically Buffy after she kills Angel and she's like just down and nihilistic. And I was like, I need this in my like head. So I just kept watching the season like over and over and over again. You're listening to Zalika Reed Benta on the Richard Krause show. Her novel River Mama is available now wherever you buy fine books. It actually helps me with, um, when I want to live with my characters, I actually just, yeah, like watch a lot of things or keep it on or listen to music to just stay in that mindset. Is it hard to let them go when you're done with the book? Um, I feel like it isn't, but it is because um, I'm actually writing something else. Like I, I was inspired to write something and like halfway through what I was writing, I was like, oh my God, I've named my character Alicia. This is Yeah, I'm just doing that. the same thing again, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, no, no. So like emotionally, it feels like I've let them go, but I think they're they're ingrained that it takes some time for me to realize and I'm like, okay, you're switching gears, you're you're going, you're going to a different um thing right now. It's it's more like um I feel awkward when I'm done. Like, I feel like I need to continue that momentum. I feel like I need to continue writing something. I, I, I don't really feel like um, I'm ready to settle, but it does feel like the characters have left me, even though apparently they're like in my mind and I just don't know. Yeah, I the, the longest I've ever worked on one of my books was about two and a half years. Right. And it's nonfiction, but it was about a very dark subject. And it weighed me down I, and I yeah. didn't realize it until you know you you as you know it's a long process you write the book you hand it in months go by and you know edits go back and forth and that kind of thing but it wasn't until I wasn't working on it every day uh a, a month or two later that I realized well, I feel lighter and I didn't realize that immersing myself in this very dark subject every day for two and a half years was really going to to settle down on me as the way it did and my wife noticed like she's like I'm so glad that book is done never do that again <laughs> <laughs> because it can stay with you Absolutely. yeah definitely definitely the thing that you're working on right now uh have you taken Alicia out of there have you have you gotten the character out of the news yeah <laughs> yeah definitely but that's again it's another uh thing it's it's a romance this time mm -hmm. which is interesting because um there was some back and forth about whether or not there was going to be romance in this or like any type of flirtation and I was like no they're friends it's a day they're broke they don't have time for anything else right now <laughs> um but uh yeah like it's it's like this kind of dark academia moody and it's very different from River Mama, which is very fast. This like has to unfurl. So sometimes I have to remind myself, I'm like it's not taking place in a day. You can take time with this. Right. Um, but like my uh, male protagonist, I wanted him to be like, you know, a play on like a very brooding, like gothic hero. Um, and 
when I started doing his dialogue, I'm like, that is not the person that he is. Apparently he's, he, yeah, no, he, he has a swagger. He's uh, witty. He's bantering. He's not the person that I really wanted him to be. And I tried to put him in like a different type of vibe. And he was like, no, that's just not who I am. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm changing a few things. So yeah, that's kind of how my characters are. And what movie are you watching right now to put you in the mind frame for the new book? It's really hard for me. Like I, I watch like Dead Poet Society just to get to that sort of like boarding school type of thing. And uh, funnily enough, I actually watched Oppenheimer not that long ago. And I'm like, ah, this actually kind of like works for what I'm trying to do. And like, and I was also watching Peaky Blinders, even though that has literally nothing to do with what I'm writing right now. Um, it was a great show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just, I think like the aesthetic, this is more like vibes that I'm trying to stay in. And so like, I mean, The Queen's Gambit is another one. Well, Zulika, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. That was Zulika Reed Benta on The Richard Krauss Show. Her novel, River Mama, is available now wherever you buy fine books. Let's meet New York Times and number one Globe and Mail bestselling author Carly Fortune. She's an award-winning journalist who worked as an editor at some of Canada's top publications, including The Globe and Mail, Chatelaine, and Toronto Life. Her debut novel, Every Summer After, was a smash hit that everygirl.com called a must-read. Her new book, Meet Me at the Lake, is a love story about secrets, lies, missed connections, and second chances that is being called beautiful and heart-tugging. In the novel, a random connection sends two strangers on a day-long adventure where they make a promise one keeps and the other breaks with life-changing effects. Carly Fortune joined me via Zoom. Uh, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's go back. This is your second book. Let's go this back uh, to a time where you found a bunch of old diaries that you had written uh, and you thought, I don't know, do I keep them? Do I throw them away? What should I do with them? COVID hits, you have time to read them and sort of go through them. Tell me a little bit about how that affected you and put you on this new course in your life. Sure. Yeah. So I kept diaries from the age of seven until uh, like early university years. Um, I've got 13 journals from that time. And when my parents sold our house, I grew up uh, on a lake in Barry's Bay where my first book every summer after is set. When my parents sold that house, um, just kind of took those boxes of diaries and shoved them in, in the back of my closet in my house in Toronto. And then it was one of the early lockdown weekends in March of 2020 um, where I was just bored and, you know, we have a young son and, my, and I'm, I'm married, um, but we were always on top of each other. And so I was just looking for something to do by myself quietly in my room. So I dug out those diaries and uh, I read them all. And I was really struck by how present the emotions, especially in my teenage years, just how those feelings from back then still stuck with me. You know, the crushes that I had, um, that those feelings that were not returned, there were letters um, and notes passed in class in the pages. There was uh, like a, a six page letter from my best friend breaking up with me. Um, there was a letter. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard to read. It was hard I'm to sure read it was. still. 
Yeah. And uh, there was a letter that I wrote to my crush telling him that I liked him and, and saying like, this is the only way I can tell you, but obviously I never, <laughs> I never you said give it to him because it was still tucked away in your diary. Yeah. <laughs> some, some of the pages had like legitimate tear stains on them. <laughs> wow. And uh, it, it just really put me back in those years. And then a few months later, um, we, my husband and I had the opportunity to spend the summer um, on a lake near where I grew up. The owner of the cottage was American, so he couldn't cross the border and he's a, a friend of the family's um, and we, we stayed there. And at the same time, I was trying to like run a bit more and I managed to run out to the house where um, I grew up on the lake. And I had never, I hadn't visited it in over, like since my parents sold it over 10 years ago. And it really felt like running back in time. Um, I ran into somebody who like I grew up with uh, on the lake. It was just, I was just in this like weird nostalgic headspace. And so um, in July, I, I'd always wanted to write a book. It's always been a dream of mine. I was a, a journalist. I didn't think I'd ever write a book. And then I got off a very stressful work call one day and said, you know what? I'm going to write my book. I'm going to write it by the end of the year. I'm going to do something for myself that's creative. And I, I'm going to write about what it's like to grow up at the lake. And the book becomes an enormous bestseller. It does really, really well. We're sitting yeah. here now with Meet Me at the Lake, which is yes. your, your follow-up uh, book. With all your years of uh, being a journalist and writing mm -hmm. as a journalist, it's a much different thing than writing yeah. as a novelist. Was there some kind of adjustment or really were you just looking to shed some of that and try something completely new? I was looking to try something completely new. And as a journalist, I didn't write that often because I was an editor. So mm -hmm. I was I was assigning writers. I was working with writers. Sometimes I would write, but I was mostly behind the scenes. You're listening to Carly Fortune on The Richard Krause Show. Her new novel, Meet Me at the Lake, is available wherever fine books are sold. And I just wanted to do something for myself, something creative for myself. I loved creative writing when I was a kid. Like I used to write stories by hand and I well, just- And 13 diaries as well. And 13 diaries. <laughs> and I, I lost that. And you know, they say when you're, if you're looking to pick up a hobby when you're older, do what you loved as a kid. And it, it was kind of like that. And I just loved it so much. So I, I wrote every day. I set myself a really low word count goal. Um, I figured out, you know, a manuscript is 80,000 words. How many words a day would I have to write in order to get there by the end of the year? <laughs> and it was 388 words. That's like for people that don't, that's about a page. That's a page a yeah. day. Probably. It's a page a day. And I, I've worked with reporters and columnists who file far more than that every day with original reporting. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, it, it was so liberating. There was this moment where I was kind of stuck in the story and I was like, wait a second, this isn't real. I can just make this up. With a journalist, it was like, I know that sounds really silly, but it was it was like a revelation for me. This is not That's real. Amazing. I'm just I up. love that so much. Well, did you, as you were writing this book, uh, you must have taken as the working at Chatelaine magazine, being an editor and and refinery 29, all that stuff, you must have taken 
hundreds, thousands of pitches. Uh, yeah. So you know what works and what doesn't, I yeah. guess. When you were writing that first book and then the new one, Meet Me at the Lake, do you think that way? Do you think, oh, this is uh, the hooky part of the story that will help me sell this? Um, I've learned that I'm not good at coming up with like hooks. I'm not, I'm learning about how all that stuff works in, in publishing. Um, I didn't think that way with the first book. I really did write it for myself. And then as I started to get into it, I was like, oh, this does feel like a book. Um, and, but I do, I think as a writer, um, I'm, I'm very aware of audience and wanting to reach a wide audience and wanting people to feel like they're included in the conversation. And, and um, I, that is something as an editor, especially like, you know, I've worked for large publications, national audiences. I worked at the Global Mail and always thinking about the reader, like the reader comes, comes first. And, and these aren't niche publications and I don't consider myself a niche writer. Like I would, um, I wanted to, I think some you know, writing is really personal and your goals for your writing are really personal. But I would never, when I decided I wanted to publish it, I would never be a writer who was like, if one person reads my book, I will right. be happy. But like, no, <laughs> I want everyone <laughs> to yep. read this book. Yeah. Whenever I have written a book, uh, and there's a few of them now, whenever I've done it, uh, I always think if I like this, hopefully 10,000 other people will. Yeah. That's kind yes. of what you want, right? Yes. Yeah. And you, you really do. You, it's so, you know, sometimes I'm like, am I just entertaining myself <laughs> doing this? Or is some, and sometimes I look at my sentences. I'm like, is this just for me? Or will other people find this delightful too? <laughs> it is interesting because the first one was so, it sounds like relatively easy and it, it becomes such a big hit. You're like, well, this is, yeah. this is just the way it is now. And yeah. so it, it's kind of cool though, actually to struggle a little bit with the second one, because I imagine the third one now, and I yeah. assume you're writing something now, yes. we'll, yes. we'll have a different vibe to it. We'll have it, a, a, it a different a, approach to it. It absolutely has. It has had a very different vibe. And it's interesting because it's been a tough year. Like uh, personally, I have two young children. Mm -hmm. We've been sick constantly since September constantly so I've had one of them home with me all the time or I've been sick so, so it's been challenging to write but the writing of the third book has been so much lighter and I'm like you know I've I've done if I need to rewrite this book if that's what happens I can do it right. um and it, it's it's just been it's been the most fun I've had writing so tell me about coming up with the story for Meet Me at the Lake. There's kind yeah. of a, a Rashomon uh, idea to it where you jump back and forth between the past yeah. and the present that you did that in the in the original book as well, which I would think presents structural issues yeah. a little bit as you're as you're it's, working through it, jumping around in time. It can be tricky. To, yeah. Do you have to have a big graph to figure out where you are in the story? Um, well, every summer after was kind of easy because it was six summers in the past and one weekend right. in uh, the present. And it just alternated between those. It would just go, you know, one summer and then back to the weekend. And that made it feel actually very easy to, ta to tackle it structurally. Like um, short stories almost or something. As yeah. And, I, you know, every I knew what would happen in the present day weekend. And then every time I would get to a summer in the past, I'd be like, okay, what needs to happen in this summer too? Like, where are they in terms of their ages? And what is it like to be 14? And then what has to kind of happen to progress or um, 
throw a wrench in this relationship. Right. Uh, with Meet Me at the Lake, it was a bit more challenging because um, they, in the present tense, they spend the entire summer together at uh, our resort in Muskoka. And in the past, they meet over 24 hours. Um, and in my first draft, it was all set at the lake and the characters were uh, just graduating high school. And then my editor suggested that we have them um, be a bit older and we set it in the city in the past 24 hours. So I, I trashed the entire backstory and I had worked for like eight months on that. I was going to say that's got to be hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was, I felt like vomiting for two days, but at, when, when somebody makes a suggestion like that and it really struck a chord with me, I was like, I, this book, I really wanted it to explore when I wanted to explore how life doesn't work out the way that we always think it mm -hmm. will. And, um, having them be a bit older just fit that so well and when she, my editor was like what about Toronto they spent 24 hours in Toronto I just like got so excited by that idea the Toronto of 10 years ago was a really fun city to be in and I spent a weekend just kind of plotting out what those 24 hours would look like and it was the most fun I had writing the book was, oh, wow. was writing that part yeah it's interesting uh you mentioned uh, starting the new one uh, and then having to throw part of it away, come back and, and rework a little bit. The first book, Meet Me at the Lake, uh, or the, the 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 every summer after, yeah, every summer after, yeah, I've got Meet Me at the Lake right in front of me. That's why, yes, um, uh, was so successful. When you get that box, so when you're an author, part of your deal is you get a box full of books, right? And that and that opens, you you open yeah. it and you go, wow, this is so cool. My name's on the the spine of a book. Yeah. Then you realize, oh, now I have to do this again. Yes. And was there any of that with like as you're as you're creating this story? Did you have that feeling like oh now it, now it starts all over again? I I had a really tough time with the second book, and I was writing it uh, well before every summer after came out. And thank goodness because mm -hmm. had I had I known how successful that book would have been and had all that those kind of reader reactions to it I think it would have been even more difficult but I just felt like I wrote every summer after in about four months the it's the published book is very similar to the first draft I wrote you're listening to Carly Fortune on the Richard Krauss show her new novel meet me at the lake is available wherever fine books are sold and it felt like magic so much about that book just felt so magical and when I started meet me at the lake I had a two-month-old baby at home I was going through like postpartum insomnia um I was so tired and uh my mental health is not in a great place following the birth of both my children and I just thought you know every summer after it was a fluke and I can't do this again and I don't even know, like, how did I even write a book? I went through my notes that I kept for every summer after to try to figure it out. Like, how did I do that? And so the first draft was really every day I, I wrote that first draft for Meet Me at the Lake. I would spend an hour to two hours telling myself I couldn't do it. And I just kept doing it. <laughs> I just, I just, I had a word count goal and I wrote until I met it. And, um, I, it was really hard to get my, my editing letter back because it was just, there was so many um, notes and I hadn't experienced that with the first book. And then it was like, oh yeah, and let's like rewrite half of it. And then I thought, oh, I did a bad job. But now 
having gone through that process, that's more realistic for what it's like to write a book. And I feel like, you know what, I can do, I can do this. Sometimes it's hard. I, yeah. but that self-doubt was really, really difficult in writing the second. Are Fern and Will, who are the two main characters uh, in this book, are they based on anyone uh, or are they sort of amalgams of people that you've known? No. However, there is one couple in Meet Me at the Lake who who, who is a, is like an amalgamation of real people that I know. Um, they're the Roses who are longtime guests at the resort. They're in their 80s. Um, they drink martinis every Sunday. And they are based on um, several couples who were guests at my parents' inn um, and restaurant who became real friends. You know, when you have a business where people come and stay with you, you really get to know people mm -hmm. over a number of years. And so they are um, kind of a tribute to a few of those couples from my life. Did you grow up in the inn? Were you living in the same no, no. we had um we had a house that was our cottage when i was born in toronto and this house was our our cottage um and then we moved to australia my dad is australian and we moved back instead of moving to the city they decided to move up to the lake so our cottage became our house and then they opened um a restaurant and inn right. um in town so you grew up around but not in yeah 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 yes yes but i'm like a like a restaurant brat kid you yeah. know? <laughs> so well waiting because... tables washing dishes <laughs> yeah you learn how to do everything i worked in restaurants for years i still sometimes have serving dreams Oh, absolutely. I do. I, they yeah, they I usually take the form of stress dreams, though, with yes, me. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, I'll have these dreams where I'll be working a bar. I was a bartender, mostly. Yeah. I, I'll be working a bar that you can look down and it just goes on forever. Like, there's just no possible way you're <laughs> yes. going to be able to get to everybody. Or another that I have is uh, someone will say, I'll give them a hamburger or something. And, and they'll say, oh, uh, do you have any ketchup? I'm like, of course I have ketchup. And then I have to run down a bunch of flights of stairs, get on the subway, take the subway a few <laughs> stops, get the ketchup, come back, give it. And then they're like, oh, and mustard uh, down the stairs again. It's just, I, I don't know, it. it's in there. And, it, yes. and I've worked in restaurants in 25 years, but it is, it is in there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> what well, is the third book? Maybe good. You should write a restaurant book. Yeah, you know, like tourism and hospitality is kind of in every one of my books mm -hmm. in different little ways. Um, but my third book is not a restaurant book, but no. there is a bit of bit of hospitality in there. That was Carly Fortune on the Richard Krause Show. Find her book, Meet Me at the Lake, wherever you buy fine books. A big thanks to Carly Fortune. A big thanks to Zalika Reed Benta. Her new novel, River Mama, is available now wherever you buy fine books. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. Wow.